Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It hurts me worse than it hurts you to do this, but I have to. Anybody ever hear that when they were kids? I don't want to have to spank you, and it does hurt me worse than it does you. I can tell you, as a kid with parents who, who they, they were serious about spanking, they believed in that in all areas of life, and that was one of the areas they wanted to be excellent. And so when they spanked, you knew it. But you'd far rather have my little tiny mom spank you than my 65, 260, 270-pound dad. You wanted, you wanted mom to spank you because she was tough. She didn't raise any sissies. My mother never said to us, you know, this is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. But in the year after, she's 85, 86 now, she uh, she has since said, you know, I hated doing that. Now, she never really had to spank me because, well, you know. <clears throat> but my other brothers, my other brothers, they were, no, I actually was pretty good. I just didn't, I didn't get tried. Either that or I didn't get caught. But the long-suffering of God despised, that's what the title of this, this sermon is. This message is a bit different. We're going to take a look. At a really tough subject uh, for followers of the way to follow. Nobody likes to be disciplined. Nobody likes to be corrected. I knew somebody one time uh, used to correct me all the time on my words, not because they were necessarily incorrect, but there was a better word that they felt I should use. One of those examples was when you are uh, talking to someone who is a, a the bride, the bride-to-be, going to be married, you don't say congratulations to her. Best wishes or whatever, you don't say congratulations. Uh, because, you know, she's, she, he's the lucky one. Well, I never knew any of that. I just said congratulations, whatever, that's the thing. And um, so I have to say, you know, I just kept saying congratulations, just despite. But bottom line is, is I don't like to be corrected. I like to be corrected. But sometimes we've got to be corrected. We love the idea of grace and mercy, but at some point, the grace and mercy give way to correction and even rebuke. What can we learn about this idea of rebuke? Why do our hurts, habits, and hang-ups always have a clear beginning? I mean, we often say, well, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what happened. I just, it just, I'm just here. But we, if we're being honest, we, we saw it coming. We, we kind of plotted the ways in little ways and then we plead ignorant when it all falls apart. How can we grow through the hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and maybe even avoid the hurts, habits, and hang-ups? 
this is a message for many that is one they need to hear, but they don't want to hear. That's what I'm here. That's why I'm here. To make available what you need, what you eternally need. And you're welcome to share it, share it, share it, share it. Share it on theninjapass.com. Go there, go to the blog site, share that. Uh, share all that stuff. Uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Facebook.com backslash SM Greener. Join all that stuff at theninjapass.com. You can even, you can even, uh, the picture one, Instagram at the Ninja Pastor, the Ninja Pastor, where you'll see my photography. So, so this is Romans 2.4, the complete Jewish Bible. Or perhaps you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, because you don't realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to turn from your sins. Now, I want to take a quick break after all that scripture. Um, you know, I just read I just read more scripture than forty one percent of all uh Protestant churches during a church service. Forty one percent of Protestant church services don't quote scripture. They don't read they mention it, but they don't quote it, they don't read it. It goes unrepeated. Forty one percent. Can you imagine? Anyway. So let me say this. Uh, this weekend, it was kind of a win weekend, I was privileged to uh, go and pay my final respects to Mr. Bobby G. Maxwell. And Bobby G. Maxwell uh, was a pivotal person in my life. Uh, back in my early, early Navy days, uh, his family sort of adopted me. Uh, in fact, they he was in my wedding. Uh, his son, BJ, was... Uh, 12 years old, he was the best man for me. Uh, Chuck was a contemporary Christian musician, the oldest brother. He was he sang and played music. He and his wife, uh, Anne, and, and um, I'm actually on one of them. You can look it up. Sold out and radical. It's me in the background. Me and Phil Shelby jamming out. Uh, so anyway, uh, and then there's Daryl. Daryl's the middle brother. There are no other brothers. Daryl in the Maxwell family, but um, BJ and I were very, very close brothers, and uh, even though he was very, was very young, extremely intelligent. I don't know what happened since, but he was intelligent. I can vouch for that. Listening, no, I'm just kidding. He's one of the smartest guys I know. And his family, the Maxwell family, it was so wonderful and loving me. Um, Mrs. Maxwell was like a, a second mom to me. She really was. She was the exact right person at the exact right time in my life. And, and the impact uh, of her was tremendous. Now, she fought cancer valiantly many, many times. And eventually, when I was a police officer, um, she lost her battle to cancer. Well, when it was getting real, real bad, Mr. Maxwell called me and he said, Sean, now, you might, if you're going to come see Mama Max, you're going to want to probably come on down. And that's probably the time. And so I, I did. And I went down and I used all my leave. The whole week's worth of leave. I had two, two weeks. Worth the uh, from the police department. I used it while she was alive, and I got to spend every day with her. And we got to sit in their yard, and I sat next to her in a, a folding chair, uh, and just watched her looking around and, and taking everything in. And and, um, and a day and a half after I got back, she passed away. And so unfortunately, I didn't have leave left to go to the go to the funeral. That's a funeral I would have really really wanted to see, but. Um, 
and, and been a part of. But um, this one, I, I was able to go, and I thank God that I was able to go. All that said to say this, that one of the things, um, they're all, they're all uh, amazing people of God. BJ is a pastor. Um, Chuck is a pastor of an awesome church. And, and uh, I often tell BJ he needs, to, he needs to speak in seminaries and universities across the country, and he needs to write a book about his experience in the pastorate. Uh, tell the raw, real story, and and um, and his wife Amy and all his wonderful kids. My goodness, even the little the little little tiny baby now, um, just wonderful, wonderful people, amazing people. Chuck, when Chuck spoke uh, at the funeral, which was on Saturday, uh, he had an index of 106, by the way, real temperature of 98 down in Memphis, Tennessee. It was real hot. No AC. Oh yeah, AC. Yeah, I mean, it's Tennessee. It's, it's not the other side of the world, but it may seem like it. But anyway, um, Chuck said something that stuck with me, and BJ said a few things that stuck with me. And it was interesting because you wouldn't think that it would tie into my message today, um, but it did. One of the things that Chuck said was, uh, for Mr. Maxwell, uh, if he could tell him, if he could talk to him, and he did have this conversation with him, Talked about his sons because he had they had three sons. Um, they're happy. The Maxwell boys are happy. They're all three happily married. They all three have beautiful children. They all you know they're all gainfully employed. They all love life. They all love their church. They all love their community. And that was the other thing he said. And Dad, you know you've been a success because we all love church. Mr. Maxwell served over 60 years at First Baptist Church Millington, 60 years, as a deacon, chairman of every committee there ever was, um, and it's a humongous church, gigantic, I couldn't believe it, I drove up to it, huge. Um, but it was very important for Mr. and Mrs. Maxwell for their family to be very involved in church, not surfacy, but really plugged in and, and contributing to it. And then, interestingly, I got to uh, welcome, by the way, chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I got to see Brother Ray. Now, that's what we call Dr. A. Ray Newcomb. It's, he just goes by Brother Ray. I think he's the founding pastor. Uh, he is emeritus now, and he's an interim pastor. He's interim pastoring in his retirement at seven different churches, with, you know, in between fishing, wherever he can. Um, and so he spoke a few words, and it was really powerful. It was a really powerful experience. And But he talked about being involved in church. And one of the things that both BJ and uh, Chuck talked about is the real sad issue here when we look at the casket, 90 years old, from actually 90 years old when he died, was the big issue is not that he died or that someone died, but that why do we have to die at all? Why do we have to die at all? Why? Why is it? It's, it's, it's other than how it should be. Really, you know, the fall in the garden set all this in motion. We wouldn't have to live like this. We wouldn't have to die like this. We wouldn't have to be this way. And I thought it was interesting because I got to thinking about that. Not that I wasn't paying attention to each excellent sermon. It was excellent. It was fantastic. Um, but I thought about this scripture. I got to thinking about the underlying emphasis. So I'm going to read this again. Romans 4, in the 
complete your body. Or have you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Because you don't realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to turn from your sins. The goodness of God is impressed on all of his works. We know that. Uh, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. You'll hear that word forbearance a lot, especially in the King James. Forbearance is that disposition in deity which causes God to withhold upon me when it is just due. Let me say that again slower. Forbearance is that disposition in deity which causes God to withhold punishment upon me when it is justly due. To restrain his wrath when it might be righteously poured out on the heads of his enemies. God's forbearance is why, the only reason why, I don't get what's coming to me. You might say, well, that sounds harsh. You know, it, it just, we look back a lot of times, I'll tell you, you know, I've learned this since learning a, a more through approach. We like to blame we like to say, oh, if she hadn't eaten that apple, first of all, it wasn't an apple because there weren't any other trees in the garden, but that's okay. Probably a pomegranate or something of that sort. doesn't really matter. She ate something. But what matters is that Adam, the man, was right next to her when she did it, and he didn't stop her. He, didn't, he wasn't a proper eater. He wasn't a proper helper. He wasn't a proper husband. He messed up. He did wrong. He was silent. And then everything set into motion. So don't throw it all. Don't heap the hot coals on Eve alone because you know what? She's not individually and and uh, she, she's not completely responsible for the whole deal. But the bottom line is, even though the garden was perfect and beautiful, it was without a thorn. It was without a mosquito. It was without a trial. It was without a problem. People say, well, now... Let me just ask you something. This doesn't sound something doesn't sound right. I've got to be wrong because nobody except for weird people walk up to serpents and want to look at them and get real close and good land. A serpent comes up and starts talking to you. Well, that's crazy. I want you to consider this. At that time, if in fact there were something like a serpent, would have any reason to be afraid of anything in the garden? No. No, there was no reason to be afraid of anything in the garden. So it might not have been. I just It just occurred to me while BJ was preaching, and BJ, I promised I was paying attention sort of some. But the point is they helped me realize that, that there was a lot more going on than sometimes we consider. And that affects us today. Forbearance to God. Thank Almighty God for forbearance. Long-suffering. Forbearance extended, carried out day after day. Forbearance is the result of his infinite goodness. Day after day, year after year, although the sinner is increasing in the number and enormity of his sins, even though we are, we get worse, we get sicker day by day, even though we get sicker and worse day by day, he still has forbearance and long suffering to us. Don't mistake, this is, this is where we mess up in today's society, right? Well, I say it all the time. We recreate God in our own image. We say, well, I serve a God who would never this or that. The this or that, he would never this or that is the thing that we want to do. He would never judge us. He would never punish us. He would never do any of these things. We say these things because we don't want to be convicted. So society, c- culture, really, 
changes the whole deal, and it changes scripture. Well, guess what? We can change scripture. We had a great conversation last week in our Q&A. Folks, if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, I'm telling you, you need to do this. We have plenty of great food. Today, ironically, is the health food day because pretty much everything's helpful except, of course, the ice cream. And I did think I read on there something about all natural. So, you know, you could say that that's, that's healthy, too. So come on and see us. Five o'clock on Sundays, 5.30, we go live. But I want to encourage you to remember that we don't want to mistake God's kindness, forbearance, and long-suffering for weakness. But that's what we do. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let us contemplate these things. The greatness of the divine long-suffering. This will appear if we consider this. The infinite dignity of the one against whom all sin is committed. might say a second. What do you mean there, Pastor? Well, here's the thing. We don't sin, but that we sin against God. We may do somebody wrong in the process of it, but we're sinning against God. Sin is not an evil which affects an inferior or attacks an equal, but it is rebellion against the great being, the creator God himself who fills heaven and earth with glory. We don't sin against ourselves or our peers. No, my friends, when we sin, we sin directly against God. If we consider that he is perfectly acquainted with every sin committed against him. Look, God sees the rise and the progress and the result of every thought that culminates in every evil act that we do. He sees what the sinner does and what he would do were he not restrained or prevented by forbearance and long-suffering. My goodness. What I have deserved over the years, my goodness, what I've deserved over the years, strained. He sees our every sin in its aggravations and its effects on others. He sees the just punishment every sin deserves. Listen, folks, we don't get away with something when God doesn't lash out and punish us at the time. Let's consider this. The love of purity, which is essential to character, to God, purity is so critically important. Scripture reminds us that every sin is abominable in his sight. He detests nothing but sin. His name, his attributes, his ways, his works, and government are all attacked by sin. All these, therefore, are in direct opposition to God. Sin in every form or fashion is in direct position to God. Listen, don't think for a minute. I want you to consider God's ability to punish. He, he is not restrained by anything other than his own kindness, his own long-suffering, his own promises. There's not some big rope around God. Oh, if I could just punish them, if I wasn't tied up right now, I would just, no, God's without limit. People, when people say to me, I have to shake my head, uh, People say to me sometimes about, they speak about God as though they can control God through their words. I've, I've heard people in prayer, and they're well-meaning people, but they command God based on his commandments. You know, we command you. We beseech you. No, you don't command God. God commands you. God's without limit. Boy, we have lost respect for God in this world. You say, well, God... You know, society, media, 
the left, some on the right, they talk about God as though he's this mean father that does all his children. My goodness, why would anybody follow a God like that? I don't want to live in a world that has a God that punishes. I don't want to be part of a faith that has a God that meets out punishment upon its his own people, the ones his children. That once Allah. He, yeah, Allah, Allah does that, which Allah and God, not the same. God's ability to punish. The sinner is always within his power. We're always within our own power. We're never powerless against our hurts, habits, and hangups. Never, not one time. I said that to set this up. Look, I want you to understand, we don't just end up sometime. I alluded to this early on. We don't just end up in a bad place. And we turn around, my goodness, how in the world did I end up here? How did that happen? One minute I was doing this, doing that, and the next minute, boom, here I am. I'm in all this trouble. I've lost everything. I've lost um you know, this has happened, that's happened, you know, and they go down the whole list of forlorn. And then you start talking to them. Well, let's dissect this. Let's figure out what happened. And you start talking to them. And you, you learn that they did this. That was sure to any other person to lead to this. That was sure to lead to the next lower and worse level of living. Greater and deeper sin. And by then we're all entwined and we're all wrapped up in these thoughts and they're all wrapped around us and we say to ourselves when we're all bound up by our, our hurts, habits, and hangers, we say in the world that I get here. I can't understand how I got here. I am powerless, Lord, to fight this thing, but that's not true. We are never powerless against our hurts, habits, and hangers. We can direct a thousand arrows upon our own exposed head and open an infinite channels of misery to and upon our own soul. What I mean by that is the arrows. I'm an archer. I like to shoot an arrow. Uh, look, we, we can put a thousand different trials and troubles upon ourselves. We can. We do it. We do it all the time. I do it. Maybe I'm talking to myself. Maybe I should. Maybe I need to get this CD and, and, and listen to it over and over and over. But I was convicted in preparing for this message tonight. That uh, and I was sitting on the plane on the way down and on the way back, and um, I was just reading it over and reading it over and reading it over. And then, of course, I sat down to hear uh, Chuck and Daryl and BJ speak, and that spoke to me. And of course, BJ finished up and he talked about why why does this happen? Why why are we having now? Let me say this, Mr. Bobby G. Maxwell. I was going to say this in the beginning, but I forgot. Bobby G. Maxwell was an avid golfer. Now, he was a veteran. He was also in the United States Navy during World War II. He's on a ship. and But he was an avid golfer. I remember my favorite call, my favorite call to Mr. Maxwell was one day, one day, it was later in the afternoon, and I, I said, well, hello there, Mr. Maxwell. How are you? Well, Sean Greener, how are you? He's from Blythville, Arkansas, uh, originally. Uh, how are you? Well, I'm good, sir. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm good. I just got back from golfing. I said, whoa, what, you play a round? No. No. Would you play two rounds? No. It's not, it's not two o'clock. It's four o'clock. I said, did you play three rounds? He said, today I played four. <laughs> I said, Mr. Maxwell, were you on the golf course all day? He says, all beloved day. Beautiful from start to finish. 
I said, how's your shoes? He said, well, let's not talk about it. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> so we, we talked about golf a lot. We talked about his kids and his grandkids and all those things. I love that conversation. He loved to play golf. He loved it. Many of his friends play golf with him. I mean, it was just a, you get out there and you talk and have fun, you know, go and have a Coke. He was a Coke drinker. He didn't, didn't want anything to do with Pepsi. I don't know why anybody in the world would ever drink Pepsi. It's like some kind of communist drink. He liked his Coca-Cola. So anyhow, uh, they had an actual piece of the golf course on his casket with a teed-up golf ball and his favorite four iron laying right there across it. Let me tell you, hmm, that got me. But what got me even more than that, after the funeral, the family went on to the graveside, and it overlooked a pond. 21 golf ball salute. They got their golf clubs. They teed them up. They had a whole bunch there. And one, two, three. And they all swung their four irons, all hitting in the water. Purpose. Because this is what he would say when he hit in the water. Now, Bobby, it would always scold his own self. And they all did that. It's all on video on my face. You'll see it there. Really touching. Really, really super powerful. Life well lived. I don't want to, for a moment, look at any other human being and say, well, they're sinless. They're without sin. Great, great man. Great man. Great family. They would be the first to say, listen, we have our Sabbaths and hang-ups. We have our struggles. We have our trials. But you know what? They would be the first to tell you, and I'll be the first to tell you in my own life, I've heaped the arrows. I've turned the arrows, a thousand arrows, upon myself so many times. My exposed head. How in the world? do I think I'm going to fend for myself against sin, against hurts, habits, and hangers? How am I going to do that? I do this to my own soul. I want to remind you, too, I, I want you to know that the sinner is always within his power, and we do direct the arrows upon ourselves and cause misery on our own soul. And I want to remind you also that all resources are Adonai's. Heaven and earth, wind and hail, storm and tempest, dearth and plague and pestilence are all his servants are at his hand. Folks, with one sweep of his hand or move of his pinky or thought in his mind, God can move oceans. He can cause the mountains to disappear. He can cause the skies to open up. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing at all he can do. Even Sometimes it can't be done, and it didn't happen, and this, that, and the other. It does not matter. God doesn't follow science. Science follows God. Amen. So all resources are, are at his hand. If he really wanted to do us in, he could, and he could have long ago. I want you to bear in mind, the left and, and, and folks that don't understand God's mind, God, I'm studying the mind of God now in a Hebrew study, it's it's very powerful and it's breaking. But I'm telling you, it's convicting and it's powerful and it's inspiring and it's exciting to learn the Hebrew perspective of God, both in an Old Testament there at the time, the way they knew about the world and what was happening. My goodness, we look at it now and we say, we can explain a lot of things now, but we can't explain that. One side says, well, we can't explain it, so it never happened. 
but the people of faith, the people of the way, the people of the land, the people of the book. They knew it happened. They saw it happen. They experienced it happening. You know, we've seen that same thing. We've seen that same thing. But, you know, I want to encourage you to understand that not every, I want you to bear this in mind, not every raging forest fire is the result of God's judgment. Rather, most often, the result of arson or carelessness or underbrush mismanagement. Not every earthquake or tornado is God's thundering judgment. Not every flood, like the one in West Virginia, God bless those people. Good people in West Virginia, they're not whining or crying. A lady, they did an interview. Uh, I was supposed to sleep until 3, and I woke up at 11.36. I've been up since 11.36. I took a little quick nap this afternoon. But 11.36 last night, and uh, so I figured I'd cut the TV on. That's what they say there. It's what they say in Tucker County, too. I cut the TV on, and, and uh, I'm watching the television. They're interviewing people from West Virginia, and the lady is standing there, and water is rushing by like a river. And the guy shoves the microphone in her face and says, what do you see when you, when you see this? And she said, I see where my house used to be. Well, you look and you think there's no way. There's no way a house was ever there. She lost everything. Did you have time to get, gather stuff up, pack anything up? She said, no. Well, the sign went off. The warning was sounded. And I literally made it out. And we started toward high ground. And I turned and looked back when we had an explosion, and it was the water taking my home away. And all we could do was keep running. She said, well, I have now in this world everything I own, every memory I have is in that house. Oh, my goodness. You very much think that the very next thing out of her mouth was going to be, "Mm, God, shaking her fist at God. Why, God? Why would you do this to us? Why would you do this to me? you do this to my community? She said, oh, but God is good. We have to pray for those families. No families downriver. They're, they've lost everything, including their life. 26 people have died in this. Well, you're hearing a whole lot about it. Why? Because they're self-sufficient, godly people. They're saying, hey, we'll be all right. Our churches are binding together. There was a church, half the church was taken away by the rushing water. They got out there, the men of the church that were able to get there, and they boarded it up, and they put tarps and different things, and they're on the other half serving people that were displaced. Man, those are people of God. Those are people of God that get it. But not every flood is God's revisitation of the days of Noah. It's easy to think that. It's easy to oversimplify it because we say, well, God did it once. He's going to do it again. When we get the tsunamis, uh, um you know, all the different tsunamis that have happened over the past 10 years, my goodness. The greatest losses of life in modern history happened. Hundreds of thousands of people. Do you remember those years? The Achi and all these different places. You remember the Japan uh, tsunami that swept away tens of thousands of people. One minute here, next minute gone. You know, I remember watching video from a high hotel room. Uh, and there were people videoing. They showed people on the street. And everything was normal. One moment, everything was normal. I preached this sermon uh, not, not long ago. I got hurt. One of the first sermons after I came back preaching. And, and I have to tell you, it was powerful research because I watched hours and hours of video. And I was watching this video of this family talking. Of course, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. They were, they were Japanese. They were high up in this hotel, and they're talking. 
and they have sort of a jovial tone. The cars are going. People are walking. People will look standing on the edge, the breakwater there, or whatever it's called, the, the, uh, the wall there, and they're looking out. And everything is normal. I'm sure they're laughing and talking about their day. And my goodness, what a beautiful view, that beautiful ship. My goodness, look at that beautiful boat. What a wonderful thing. Literally, within a minute, 100-foot boats were a mile inland. Literally, the film, the video showed these people disappear. Never to them. Folks, this is serious business, but I want to understand God's wrath. We look at that, and, 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 and it's, we look at sometimes we think, well, how do we explain this? I, I love it when my Athea or my, my doubter friends, after something terrible like this happens, they say, okay, preacher, what about God? Tell me all about your loving God. I say, I didn't tell you it was all loving. I didn't tell you it didn't render punishment. I didn't tell you render judgment. I didn't tell you that he said if you sin in this world, the world will be broken. And he told Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, don't touch that tree. Don't touch that tree. And evil came in. They touched the tree and they ate of the fruit. And everything thereafter has been broken. But one day, it's going to be fixed. One day the flood will come and behind it will be beautiful, green, peaceful earth. But there's going to be a lot of trial. A lot of trial. The world and the world's weather was perfect and without sin and strife until the fall of the garden occupied by only two people and God. The Bible says that God walked with them. They walked in the garden together. Can you imagine? After the fall, the voice of God scared them. But before, can you imagine how comforting it was to converse with God, the one you knew created not only all of this, but you. And you say if it was idyllic, how in the world would they ever go against it? Why would they ever violate it? Because God gave us free will. And you know what? No matter how good a situation is, no matter how good a situation is, how many times have you been in a great situation? Maybe you have a great job, but then you start thinking, hmm, I like get better job. I mean, I'm better than all this. You first, you thought it was great at first, but then after a while, you start thinking, mm, no, I deserve better than this. You start getting your back up a little bit, thinking, well, I'm, I'm all that in the bag. I deserve more this or that. And, and then for too long, we end up not doing a good job at our job, and we're, we're, we're coveting and we're envying other people. We're coveting a job we don't have. How many times? How many times have we been in situations where we simply ourselves to go from how God has set us up so beautifully, so perfectly, and then we end up all messed up. Or think about this. He says, no, don't go there. Don't do that. No, but God, I want that. I want that. I want that person. I want that job. I want that. Whatever the case may be. He says, no, you don't. Trust me. I see around corners. I made the corner. Then what happens? We said, no, I'm better than you. Like I said before, look, there's not a calamity that's come upon us we couldn't see coming, truthfully, truthfully. But I want to say this. The garden was occupied by God and two people. And still in all, 
in the presence of God and all of his wonder of creation, the beauty of creation, they still sinned against God. I say that for this reason, for this purpose and this purpose alone. On the one hand, I want us to be hard on ourselves, to really look at ourselves, really pursue holiness, to really pursue uh, fixing our hurts, habits, and hangups, work on those things. I need to do it. I know I need to do it. But on the other hand, not as an excuse, but I want you to understand, you're not alone. We're not sitting here. You're not sitting there with whatever your hidden thing is, your hurt, habit, or hangup that you never tell anybody in a million years or you're embarrassed of. You're not by yourself. The whole earth is full of folks like that. I'm like that. There's no worse critic of Sean than Sean. Sean is an expert at criticizing Sean. But here's some encouraging news for you. Heaven awaits. And I'll tell you this great news. Heaven's weather is awesome. Every day is golf day. Every day is beauty. Every day is peace. Every day is perfection. Every day is completeness. Every day is contentment. Every day is joy in heaven. I want you to consider this, his beneficence to the sinner. He not only spares or forbears to punish, allows to live, gives to the sinner. Oh, wait a second. What are you saying here? Us while we're still sinners, he gives us air to breathe. Have you ever thought of that? My, my goodness, what a good gift that is. He gives us air. To breathe. We need air to live. He gives us air to breathe. He gives clothes to wear and food to eat. Right? We're looking here. Uh, there be there be so many communities. My daughter's in India right now. And, and entire communities would eat off of what, what we have. Just this group. Such utter and complete poverty. Food to eat. Sometimes we complain about our clothes. Sometimes we complain about our food. But he gives it to us. He gives us health and strength, comfort and enjoyment. Now, I want to explain. Like with Carson, God bless him. We need to keep praying for Carson Sellers. Keep him in your prayers. He's home now after two months in the hospital. He's been in the hospital for years. This kid's been through it. The family's been through it. I look at that situation. And some, sometimes people say, well, you know, can you give me some idea of what this is all about? Can you help me understand what's going on here? Where is God in all that? He's just an innocent boy. He's a smart, smart boy with a great family. Good grandparents, too. Godly examples. They trust God. Why in the world would this happen? My short answer is I don't know. I don't know. I wish it would stop. I pray that it will. Continue to pray that it will. God, relieve, relieve this family of their suffering by healing this child. Let them be a, a, a sounding trumpet to I don't know why it happens, but he gives them comfort even. He gives them comfort in Scripture. Yes, it's terrible. It's awful. I wouldn't want to go through what he's going through. He's far braver than me. It's from Scripture. But then they have people come and pray with them. They have people bring them food. They have people love on them. The people will come and will sit and spend time with Carson. And then they'll do things for the family. That's comfort. That's a beautiful thing. No place in the world for that to come from than the church. No better place, really and truly, no better place. Let me say this really quick, going back to Tennessee this weekend. Uh, this, this happened in Millington and the outskirts of Millington, and I, I don't want to portray Memphis. The city of Memphis is a terrible, terrible place. 
I hate to tell you, it's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, the liberal left, the entitlement society, the perpetually uh, aggrieved have taken over. Now, there are some very nice folks. I met some nice people in the hotel. Uh, the hotel I was scheduled to stay at last night, there were folks with guns in the parking lot when I came up. It was a bad, bad deal. Then I figured, well, let me drive down to this truck stop. It'll be a little safer. There were folks in the truck stop parking lot with guns on. And let me just assure you, I'm a gun guy. I'm never put off by guns. But these folks, I'm going to guarantee you, no background check has been done on them to assure. And there were not a police officer in sight. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Just falling apart. Uh, you know, everybody's waiting a check on Friday. Everybody's mad. Not everybody. I shouldn't say that. A lot of people are waiting to sanctuary. Democrat be proud. Democrat be proud. That's for sure. Here's the thing. And I say to myself, my goodness, how far things have fallen. How terrible this is. This place is lost. I, I, I lose hope. When I go into America's cities, I lose hope. I do. I go into the country and I'm lit up. I'm... I'm now, you might say, well, that's because you're a country boy. You're born and raised in the country. You're right. But you know the way things have gone, cities, when you go into cities, you see the depravity. You see the degeneration. You see all, all that stuff. You see, oh. If you go into cities this weekend, major cities all around the country, what are you going to find? You're going to find the Pride Parade celebration all across the country, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New York, all across the country. You see all these things. In New York, they couldn't show the video without pixelating it of a parade during broad daylight, without pixelating it because of what was going on there, heralding as heroes. But you know something struck me was so powerful. Not only that he was such a great man, and, and Bobby G. Maxwell was no doubt about it, a great man, raised three great sons. But as the hearse by on a divided four-lane highway, the cars coming the opposite way. Center Island, a whole median, separating the cars. They slow to a stop. And they have a place of reverence as long as it takes. Nobody passes the last car. In Millington, Tennessee, in the country of Tennessee, nobody passes that last car of the procession. They stop and respect. Cars and intersections come to a halt to let the procession go through. Respect. Someone is passing by that has gone on to their reward. Someone is passing by in the cars that follow that white or black hearse carrying the body of the lost. Someone is in those cars crying sad, empty, and missing. And those folks, those country folk, stopped their cars and waited for as long as it took. Now, that's a powerful testament, folks. That's respect. That's, that's, that's a beautiful testament of respect and honor. They don't even know that man. They don't know him. They something lost. And we need to respect that. But as you get closer into the city of Memphis, all that fades away. That southern kindness, that southern hospitality fades away. That southern respect fades away and it becomes a war zone. Tragic. It's 
spares. He's poor bears to punish. He allows to live. He gives us air to breathe, clothes to wear, food to eat. He gives us health, strength, comfort, and enjoyment. He gives us the sinner, we the sinners, his word. What a gift. I say it all the time. I, I think about it all the time. I think, how fortunate am I that I can, I can sit on a plane, on an airplane, and I can read my scriptures, and I can research, and I can type up, and I can do all these things on a little handheld thing like this. Can you imagine? I have scripture right there at my hands. I have great commentary, thousands, tens of thousands of pages of commentary, and language study, and all these different things. On this little device, I can read his word and hold it in my hand. His word means this almost pagan company. This company that proudly supports Washington. That proudly stands against what we stand for and what this book stands for. The word redeems this device. He gives us his word. He gives us his ordinances. He gives us his Torah. He gives us his Torah. He gives us his spirit to lead us to salvation. He wills his salvation, invites us to his mercy seat. He beseeches us to be reconciled in himself. He forbears. He gives us long suffering. He stands back and says, come on, buddy, you can do it. I know you're struggling now. I know you're, 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 you, you think you're going to lose. You think you're going to fail. And I know you failed and failed and failed and failed. I'm here for you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Don't fight alone. Get friends around you that can help you. The girl that did my uh, teeth after my crash, I had 10 broken teeth and a bunch of movement and all that stuff. It was terrible. Uh, I, was, I was about, I could eat uh, corn. I could always eat corn on the cob for a fence, but it was much worse. Y'all get that? That was a joke, grenade. Corn on the cob for a picket fence. Y'all will get that in a minute. Um, but uh, I have to say, it was it was nasty. I mean, it was really it was really a mess. Busted up teeth, and I couldn't chew the brain injury and the damage to my jaw. I couldn't chew, and so I was choking all the time, and and all this stuff. It was it was kind of crazy. And the and the young girl, 23 year old, beautiful. Her name is Katrina. Beautiful girl. We hit it off. I'm telling you, that little girl, I just thought she was precious. She had Goldilocks. I call her Goldilocks. She had Goldilocks hair and beautiful blue eyes and alabaster skin. And she always smiled and was so happy. And after three years I'm, I'm in these braces and every six weeks, something like that, every six weeks I'm sitting in her chair working on my mouth. And I look forward to it. Every six weeks I had a visit with my little friend. And turns out she's told everybody, that's my favorite patient. Now, some would say that I bet that she told, told that to everybody, but not true. Everybody told me, no, 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 you really were her favorite patient. She would tell everybody, don't mess with me. Dr. Sean is coming in today. He's going to sit in my chair and we're going to chat. You know, it looked like everything was fine with her. She was just so good at her job. She was 23 years old and people twice her age would come to her and ask her for advice on how to do this or that, this complex procedure. She'd stop what she was doing and go help them. So the last three months, the last three months, something was changing in Katrina. Something, something had changed dramatically in Katrina. 
well, I never knew it, but Katrina was addicted to heroin. I had no idea. The last three months, she had been to rehab, and but the last three months, she had relapsed, and then a fellow comes in the town, and he was an old family friend. Hey, you know, how you doing? Good to see you. People were a little nervous at first. He said, hey, I just got back. I'm, I was a, a counselor at rehab. I've kicked it. Not only have I kicked it, but I'm, I'm helping other people kick it. And I just want to go out with Katrina and, and take her and, and talk and do this, that, and the other and help her see how she's doing. Okay, great. That's awesome. Thank you for helping. Right back on. She put a needle in her arm, and she didn't even move the needle one-tenth of an inch before her heart exploded. And she's gone. She's gone. And I say to myself, I say, man, how in the world could this happen? And it reminds me, you don't go to just anybody for help in the church when we're struggling. This is one of the greatest resources that we have in the world is the church, the way the church ought to be. Not a bunch of people that ought to be judging each other and measuring each other and saying this, that, and the other about each other behind their back door and prayer request gossip. But people say, hey, I care about you. What matters to you matters to me. What affects you affects me. I love you. Christ, I love you. You're my sister or my brother in Christ. I want to help you. I'm not perfect. Who in the world would ever say I'm perfect? I wouldn't. But I want to help you. And when I need help, I want to be able to be among the saints and say, man, I'm struggling. I need some help. And have people come around and not judge you or minimize you or measure you again because you failed. We need to go to each other. He wills his salvation. He invites us to his mercy seat. He invites us to be reconciled to him. He's come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Here's the God tees it up, not to use a golf reference, but to use a golf reference. God tees it up perfectly for us. He shows us the door to our freedom. He holds the key up to us, to that door, but it's up to us to take the key out of his hand. To take the key, to unlock the door, and to pass over the threshold to true eternal freedom. Here's the thing. We have to consider this. The design of the divine long-suffering is to exhibit the riches of his grace. My goodness. How blessed are we that God, unmerited favor, abounding, so I can look at my own life, and I can tell you without question, God has been better to me than I've ever deserved, a hundred thousand times better to me. He exhibited to me the riches of his grace. He delights in mercy. He loves to save, and judgment is his strange work. Sometimes he shows us here, you're messing up. Sometimes he has to rattle us a little bit, get our attention. Like the good father. He doesn't want to punish us. He would rather delight in extending to us unmerited favor and mercy. His long suffering is intended to lead us, these sinners, to repentance. It's not intended to boost himself up. Oh, look at me. I'm some big man. Look what I can do. He's not bragging on himself. No. It's intended to lead us to repentance. It is calculated to lead us to repentance as it provides the means to repentance. 
It provides us the time and opportunity for repentance. His long-suffering gives us the means. It gives us the time and opportunity, and it gives us the invitation to take part in his redemption, in his salvation. It also gives us the spirit to soften our hard and profane hearts. It also allows us to develop motives, the promises to the repenting soul. We say, you ever make promises? I'm, maybe it's just me, but you're in a bad way. So, oh, Lord, if you help me out of this pit. Number one, I'm going crawl in this pit again. Number two, I'm going to do that thing that led me to this pit. You make all kinds of crazy promises. And afterwards, whoo, thank God he saved me. And then we forget about it. We're tiptoeing ever closer to the pit. Look, his, his grace, it, it leaves we the impenitent without any reasonable excuse. What can we plead in mitigation of the dread and terrible sentence of the Lord? We had the offer, and we had the opportunity. We had, we said to Noah, the flood's coming. I'm going to the earth clean. We're going to start over with just whoever's on this boat, whatever's on this boat, whatever's on this ark. That's it. Man, there's no, listen, folks. I don't think you get a greater warning than that, can you? We're going to wipe the earth clean, people do, in their debauchery, in their, in their utter loss and sin, in their thumbing of their noses to God. They said, you'll do no such a thing. Ha! That old drunk Moses, what's he know? What is that big old behemoth dropping our property value in our subdivision? But then what happened? Oh. Another story once God closed the door. Another story once God closed the door. Everything changed once God closed the door. I can imagine there might have been claw marks on the wood on the outside of that ark. He gave us things to all. He tells us all the time, listen, if you do this, this bad thing is going to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to you. Please do that. Come on, buddy. You can do it. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I don't want you to go down that path. He gives us mercy to soften us. You know, and we have times and seasons. We have sometimes it's, you know, if it, if it happened faster, uh, I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine talking about the death penalty, why the death penalty is no longer a, a deterrent, because it's carried out 30 years after the crime was committed. But he gives us times and seasons. It happens in those times and seasons. Sometimes forget about it. You know, the people, a lot of times the victim's families of the person for whom the, the perpetrator was put in jail and put on death row and sentenced to death, their family dies off. They stop coming to the hearing of the attempts to overturn the death penalty. And as they die off, the passion of, no, this person did this crime and for which they are to die. God gives us times and seasons. God has waited long and called aloud to our and to each of us individually, and now out of necessity, he is speechless. The words of the Lord end. And when the words of the Lord end, the Lord becomes speechless. What we earned comes to pass, and yet lament our just punishment as though we are in some strange way innocent and unaware of our due. We look back and we say, whoa, what's happening? This is so terrible what's happening to me. Look at the country that we were given as a gift. 
This country gift, liberty and freedom, is a gift from God, an experiment in liberty. And our founders knew that because they knew God. And he looks at our country now and all across the country. These pride parades are all over the place. Look, I don't want bad things to happen to gay people. I don't. I don't want you to think that at all. If a gay person was in here right now and someone was trying to harm them, I would stand in front of them and fight in their defense. I wouldn't allow them to be harmed. I wouldn't allow them to be harmed. Abortion clinics, people, people on the left and sadly on the right fighting to be able to kill a baby after birth and still call it an abortion. We wonder why. You know, we have a responsibility as, as Christians. People say, well, you really hate on the Muslims a lot. It's a satanic cult, a religious, political, and military ideology that is bent on the destruction of the world. They are a culture of death, not a culture of life. And they are here, I believe, very much believe that they are a tool of Satan. We have an obligation to fight against that. We are to work until he comes. We're to fight against that. We're not to invite them in our midst. We're to cast them out. We're not to invite the murderer upon us into our governments. We're to cast them out. What is it? Luke 2211. Somebody looked that up. Luke 2211 talks about defending, arming ourselves and, and defending our our uh, our home, our family. There's another passage that talks about if you have two clothes, get to sell one get a sword. I'm here to tell you. Yes, sir. Can you read it? Where is the guest room where I am to eat the Peshat's meal with my Talmudim? I I guess the wrong one. 11.22 maybe. I don't know which. John, I thought it was. I don't know. I'll figure it out. 3.30 this morning. Oh, there you go. That's a good verse nonetheless. We'll see if I got the right one. I win the prize. I I win a white Ford F-150 cup. If I, get this right. <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble last time trying to give away a revenue. Right? 1122. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers them, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides the spoil. Come on. When someone overpowers you, takes away your armor. That means what? We're supposed to have armor. We're supposed to have a means of fighting. Back then it was the sword and the shield. What is it now? Like the AR-15, AR-10, a bunch of pistols, maybe a couple 1911s, some box in there, maybe some Six Towers, some Smith and Wessons, Springfield Arms, Springfield Arms, Little Ruger, come on, Walter, Walter, let hey they're all they're all there for our defense. Yeah, yeah, we came on. That's what we're that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to sit and take this. We're not supposed to allow them to take us over. We're doing a thing wrong by standing up for our country and our freedom and our liberty because it is a gift from God. Listen, I did a series. Folks are listening out in Radio Land. This audience that's here now heard that series live. I did a series on when we disobey God and relates to Israel. What happened? What was that? Like a seven or eight week series. It was. It's free charge. It's on iTunes. It's on. Uh, if you look me up on iTunes, you go. The um, or ninjapastor.com, the series there, you go to research. And just talk about it. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. What happened every time Israel gives a piece of land back? Every time Israel can see, and every time we as a country 
the unmitigated gall of the president of our country and other people on the left. You know, I passed a Lutheran church. I'm just going to say this. I won't say the names. Only here, I passed a Lutheran church on their sign in Newark, Delaware. Their sign says, Happy Ramadan. Now, there's somebody that doesn't understand a thing. Boy, that is true. Right? They're the ones with those bumper stickers, ECF, and it has a little dove, war is not the answer. You remember those? You guys see those? Come on, you've seen them. Follow a Subaru or a Prius, and you'll see. War is not the answer. (laughs) You'll find it. War is not the answer. These are the same folks talking about happy Ramadan. Really. Especially in the wake of all these attacks against Americans. These attacks, you heard what happened in Syria. London. You don't hear about the attacks so much in London anymore. They've got to be much bigger for, to make the international news. Attacks in France. Police officers murdered by radical Muslims. Muslims trying to to kill wherever they can. This is what they do. Don't blame a snake for biting you. That's what they do. Listen, we've got to stand up. We've got to, we've got to fight. We cannot, we absolutely cannot give up on this. Now we have to observe how God's long suffering is despised. That is, it's undervalued. It's treated lightly. It's neglected. We, the sinners, contemptuously of it. Where we ask with in an impatient and petulant defiance. Where is the promise of his coming? He said he was coming. How come he's not here? How come he's not here? Why is he taking so long? This is what we ask. We, we're contemptuous about it toward God. We speak in disrespect toward God. Where are you now? Why aren't you here? Where is the promise of his coming? The prof- Harden themselves under their own profanity. Jabez Burns wrote, oh, here we go again. Jabez, Jabez Burns, I, I love his writing. Uh, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the children of men are set in to do wickedly. Listen, let me talk about the death penalty again. I mentioned 30 years, that's the average length of time, if a death penalty is carried out. Now let me go on record. I was very pro death penalty. I was. I was very. Pro- I haven't changed my mind about the appropriateness of the death penalty, but I have said that no one at the hands of the state should be put to death now until we clean up this government. You've got uh, what's her name Mosby Mosley down in. Uh, she's lost yet another trial, and now she's facing charges of prosecutorial misconduct, overcharging, politicizing a case for her own advancement. I said it I said it on the radio before the trial happened. I said this woman is absolutely going to railroad these people to try to elevate herself in the community. And that's exactly what happened. But praise God, that black judge wore a robe of righteousness, not of color. And what did he do? What did he do? The black judge defendants in the case and said there is not only no evidence here of wrongdoing among the police officers there are mountains of evidence of wrongdoing on this prosecutor he's to be honored he's to be honored because he is of race he is acting 
unbiased, the scales of justice are fair. I'll bet you dollars to donuts he's a Christian. In other words, we like See, I talk about the death penalty 30 years. That's the average length of time. Did I mention that already? The average length of time, if it is carried out, that's how long it takes. 30 years, unless you're in Texas or Florida. They don't mess around there. But you see, it's kind of like this with our sin. We light cigarette after cigarette because lung cancer and heart disease don't manifest immediately and visibly in our in other other words, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the of the torch. We bring up. Look, I do this to myself. We bring upon. I bring upon myself my own pain. The great mass of men are indifferent to it. They do not know. They do not consider the long suffering of Elohim. We pass on heedlessly until even mercy has exhausted her resources. Then we reap accordingly what we have. For so long, so blithely sown. I want you to consider this. How foolish it is to despise the long-suffering of God. How foolish it is. Long-suffering is not indifference in God. Long-suffering is not approval. Well, God hasn't done anything yet. He must approve of it. No. How wicked we are to despise his long-suffering. The blood of Yeshua was expressly for our salvation. This is why he came. Riches brought to our door for the taking, and when the giver arrives at our home, we reject the giver and the great gift of redemption. How reckless are we to dare deity, to trifle with soul, to be heedless of eternity. Finally, how terrible will the result be when his, God bless you, when his long suffering is over, when God is speechless, and silence all of nature thunders. To perish in spite of all of our mercies and opportunities, having exhausted the riches of the long suffering of God, is the greatest tragedy of life and eternity. I want to remind you something I said at the beginning. You know, good dads, they don't want to spank their child. They don't want to discipline their child. They don't want to do that. Good moms don't want to do that. It does hurt them more than it hurts the child. You know, it's something. I, I didn't hardly ever have to reprimand my dog. She was very, very good. My son was very, very good. Um, I'm, I'm very, very blessed, I have to say. But when my daughter was real, real little, she did something that could really have hurt herself. Uh, she was a bat type of kid. She was a monkey. She climbed. We were playing hide-and-seek one time. I couldn't find her. I was about to pass out with hurry. And where do I look? On top of the refrigerator. She was six years old. She was on top of the refrigerator in one of those little cubby soffit things on top of the refrigerator. Fearless. The only way I caught her, the only way I found her when we were playing hide-and-seek was her giggling. That was it. It's the only thing I did. But she did something one time. It wasn't a, a bad thing, but it was a dangerous thing. And she didn't realize it, and I had to kind of act like I was spanking her. And I had to raise my voice, put on dad voice. Oh, my little thing, my little precious little princess. She went to her room. I said, you go to your room, and you think about this. And, boy, she didn't get three steps away crying, bawling her eyes out, bawling her eyes out. Old daddy's tears were just streaming down his face. 
I said, oh, my lands, I can't stand to do that with my child, but goodness, if she does this again and I'm not here to protect her and she gets hurt, how am I going to make her remember? I've got to punish her. I've got to, I've got to train her. And a little bit later, we had restoration, and she came out. And she said, Daddy, you set my apology? Yes, oh, yes, I did. absolutely. And then we must have sat and watched Princess Bride for the 155th time. But that's the thing. We have, listen, nobody wants to punish their kids. We don't want to do it, but we have to. And in society, you know what we have to do? We have to call evil, evil, and good, good. I talked about that on, uh, what was it, uh, last week, Sunday or, or Wednesday show. We call evil good and good evil. We speak out as Christians because we're being afraid. I had a conversation with BJ this, this past weekend, sitting in his living room. I was privileged to be there among where he does life with his family, beautiful, wonderful family. And we talked about political involvement. Mr. Maxwell was very, very, very politically involved. He wrote to all of his congressmen. He actually, at one point in time, they voted themselves a pay raise in the middle of the night. You know how they do Voted themselves a pay raise. He mailed each one a dollar bill. And, you know, a bunch of them sent, I think it was 170 of them, sent the dollar back with a letter thanking him, but, you know, keep his dollar. And he was mad. He was mad. He He says, now that's nice, but what happened to all those others? They took my money. They didn't learn the lesson. We talked about being politically involved from the pulpit. And I encourage BJ, you've got to get involved. You've got to get informed. We've got to get in it because the black robe regiment needs to rise again. Listen, the change of this country, the only way is if we follow God's precepts as a church, starting from the pulpit to the background, and we live out what we were called to do. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I always appreciate you joining us. Wednesday's show is going to be a, a really cool show. I'm very thankful. Uh, to have, we're going to have a very special guest. I think this Wednesday, I think we're going to have a Virginia author and speaker, internationally known attorney, uh, Virginia Prodan. You ever hear her, Prodan? Some people pronounce it. Amazing. This woman is amazing. She's going to be on my show. I'm very, very excited. Um, There's going to be lots of other big stuff happening. I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll tell your friends. Listen, when you listen to this uh, message, I want you to listen to it and then share the link with your family and friends. It means a lot to me. Me. It means a lot to me that you would join us here at our Kehala, uh over the airways or, or live in person. God bless you and thank you for coming. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.